Jewish Communal Fund is the nation's largest Jewish donor-advised fund. With more than 50 years of helping fund holders streamline their charitable giving while maximizing their tax benefits. With JCF, you can stabilize your charitable giving, access funds for relief, and make grants quickly in times of crisis. Open your fund with as little as $5,000 to get started with smarter, more intentional giving. Learn more at jcfny.org. This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am Stephanie Butnick, and today we have something a little different for you. It's a special Thanksgiving segment of Beautifully Jewish. Thanksgiving might not technically be a Jewish holiday, but it's a time when we gather with family or friends, stuff ourselves with a big dinner, and celebrate being together. That feels pretty Jewish. And really, the holiday's emphasis on gratitude is something pretty familiar for us Jews. In fact, in Judaism, we don't have one day set aside for gratitude because we're supposed to be thankful every day. Judaism gives us ways to express our gratitude from the moment we wake up in the morning, when we say the Modet Ani prayer, giving thanks for the very act of waking up. We bless everything from the food on our table to a bill of good health, even returning safely from a trip. There is nothing we're not thankful for. Even the Shehechianu, the prayer we say for all the first throughout the year, what we're saying is how grateful we are for experiencing these things. When you're Jewish, every day is Thanksgiving. But today, in observance of that Gregorian Thanksgiving, the day of turkey and stuffing and football, we've baked up a beautifully Jewish audio feast just for you. I'm here, as always, with my beautifully Jewish co-host, Tanya Singer. Hi, Tanya. Hello. Each month on Beautifully Jewish, we look at a holiday or moment in the Jewish calendar and celebrate an object associated with it, learning where it comes from, how it's made, and how it's used. Today, we're shining the Beautifully Jewish spotlight on something unexpected, a humble folding chair. We talked to our tablet colleague, Sam Hacker, about the surprising significance of this object many of us are pulling out of storage for Thanksgiving dinner. After that, we'll give you an update on our beautifully Jewish craft along for Israel. More than a thousand of you have signed up to help us knit hats, crochet dolls, and make cards for those in need in Israel. We'll also be sharing a recording from one of our weekly craft along Zooms, a conversation with Israeli knitting icon Inbal Gross. But before we get to all of that, Tanya, you're dealing with something I think a lot of our listeners might be wrestling with, how to throw the best Thanksgiving in a kosher home. The challenge of Thanksgiving, of course, as Jews or kosher Jews, is how to have your pie and eat it, too. Because most pies have dairy. dairy. Right. And you have to also watch for lard if you buy a pie elsewhere. It looks like that's a no-no. So Is that why pies are so delicious? They have actual lard in them? Well, lard and or butter Mm. and or both. So getting a non-dairy pie is a thing, and it is tricky. We have a really good solve for that this year in our house. My daughter's birthday, 16th, lands on Thanksgiving. She is not happy about that. (laughs) And she is not a Thanksgiving food person except for maybe stuffing, which she could eat in abundance. And pie. We've decided to do get this, a dairy Thanksgiving. Ooh, so full veg. She wants full veg, tons of ooey, gooey, cheesy things. There will be tomato soup and something that could be dipped in tomato <gasps> soup. So that. she's really into the dairy. 
we are going to have Thanksgiving as Shabbat dinner. It's the American Jewish fantasy. Thanksgiving Shabbat dinner. I can't think of anything better. I really, really like that. It reminds me, I think we ran a piece about this in Tablet a while back, like what to do on the Shabbat after Thanksgiving. You've just cooked this whole meal. So how many people are coming to this this fest, this so feast? So it's, it's smallish. It's going to be 10 to 12 people. Our first year in our house, we had 59 people. Everyone brought folding chairs over. And it turns out we had variations on a theme. They were pretty much all the same Fritz chair in different colors and vintages with this amazing velvety cover. And we made it work. So I actually can picture what this chair is because my family also has the same folding chair. And we discovered this randomly because we got a newsletter from Via Maris, which is one of our favorite Judaica companies. They'll be at Tablet's Hanukkah Bazaar. I'm so excited. And there's a photo of a velvet mid-century modern folding chair. And at the same time, it felt like in our office, we all got this email and we're like, the folding chair. And we realized that I had the same one. You had the same one. Our colleague Sam Hacker had the same one. Tell us, like, where does this, where does this chair come from? Our chairs have a tag that say they were made by A. Fritz in Long Island City. And it's a thing. Generations of our family have these chairs. You definitely see them in Jewish homes in the New York area for sure. They either have gold or silver. They could be shiny. They could be matte. Ours are pleather. Um, I know. They're the best. They go everywhere. They're in our sukkah. I use them when I taught kids to knit in my garage during the pandemic. And of course, they'll be around our Thanksgiving table. These are also known as like Fritz and Company. I've seen it online. Or like the Fritz style chair. They're all over sites like First Dibs and eBay. A perfectly typical folding chair. But they're like a little swankier. It's just like a little bit luxe. Yeah, I think the fact that they're on First Dibs and all these sites tells you like there's there's a cachet. So on previous segments of Beautifully Jewish, we focused on objects. We looked at the white Torah covers that are customarily used on the high holidays. We looked at the sukkah itself as a canvas. And now we want to look at an object for Thanksgiving. But it is an unexpected object. We're looking at the most beautifully Jewish folding chair. We wanted to make sure that you knew that it was more than the two of us who had them. So we called up our amazing colleague, Sam Hacker, who also has them at her home. (laughs) She does, and she loves them. Please join us in welcoming our colleague, Sam Hacker, to talk to us about some folding chairs. Describe the color of those. Those are amazing. They're red velvet. I love them. I didn't know other people had these. Here's the question. Do people still get them? We don't think A. Fritz is still in business, but I know when I got married or I moved into my house in New York, my mother-in-law said, we're buying you chairs. And I thought she was crazy. And then she said, okay, here are the choices. All these colors and fabrics, gold, silver, shiny and not shiny. And yeah, she's like, everyone needs these chairs. It's like the greatest thing that you could never think to ask for. Okay. So story time. They're from my dad's mom who got out of Vienna. All the kids got out, but her parents didn't get out. This was like the only thing I took from her when she died. This is connected to something bigger than just my grandma. The irony is we visited my grandma a couple times a a month. It was not like a joyful place, my grandma's house. I actually don't remember these ever getting used at like a family fair. We never had Passover, Thanksgiving, or Rosh Hashanah. Like we never did anything at my grandma's house. My grandma was a widow. Her husband died when she was in her early 50s and she lived to 99. And it was a very joyless household. 
So it's funny that she had these trees because I never knew they existed because we never did anything at her house that was fun or celebratory or anything. So when I discovered these chairs, I was like, like the idea that these were going to come out to like add extra space to the table and the idea that there would be that many guests at her house was very funny to me. But I kind of am trying to like turn that on its head with these in my house and trying to like have a lot of people so that we have to use them. This is something I haven't shared before, but I have a charm bracelet that I inherited from my grandmother who was mentally ill and had a similar kind of home. Mm. And what I love about the bracelet is that it makes me think that there was a time when my grandmother would get dressed up and put on a beautiful bracelet. And so maybe this grandmother in your lifetime, you didn't see that side of her, but there Mm -hmm. was a time where that side was there. And that's like a nice thing to hold on to and bring forward. I love that. Yeah. And even... Even the promise of buying the chairs, like even if the promise didn't get delivered of who would sit in them or if, if they did have anyone sit in them, like just the, the idea of buying them and what what that meant. And I don't know if it was a wedding gift or something, but just the promise of what that could have held is really special. So in my family, we call these the Passover chairs. They were in the basement. They were the, the purple velvet. And you just would grab them for whatever holiday it was. Thanksgiving, yes, was probably like our only secular version of these. But um, it really was for big holiday dinners. And I moved into an apartment right before I had Edith. And I remember my parents just showed up with like all the chairs. Because Edith arrived early, we didn't have any of our stuff ready. And in her room, before I got like the rocker or whatever, there was literally a Passover chair that I would just like sit with her on. And for me, it was like, it's so perfect. It's just like what you have on standby in case something comes up, right? And you never know in life like what it's going to be. Even in these early pictures of me and Edith, there's just a stack of them behind us. (laughs) Just like they're everywhere. I have to say, these chairs are pretty comfortable because of that padding underneath. You can have a cozy meal on them. Like, you're not so mad if you get stuck on that chair. They're also great because you can fit a lot of them around a table. They're so narrow. They're narrow both around a table and then they're also shallow once. I mean, they're they're freaking brilliant. They're the perfect chair. The perfect chair. So I like this, Sam, as like aspirational for you, right? Where you're like, we will host big events. You and your family like will now host events in your home because you have these chairs. Totally. They're so beautiful. These are so much cooler than like a folding chair. It's just so special to have something that's like utilitarian, but also has a purpose. Even if you don't have this exact chair, to me, it is just family and celebrating. And it's like in everyone's garage and everyone's basement or your parents' house or your grandparents' house, like the stack of chairs exists because we know there are these moments that we want to celebrate and we want to squeeze as many people as we can around the table. And like the food might be overflowing, the food might not be, right? But there's just this improvisation that these chairs allow for, which is just like, we're going to get everyone together. We're going to throw them around the table and like, we'll see what happens. And to me, that is so beautifully Jewish. It's just so beautiful. And I feel like it's like, so the spirit of this moment, right? Like just welcoming people around our table. Just last week, I went to one of those public displays that are now something we're so used to seeing where we see the Shabbat table set for all of the hostages taken into Gaza. The table had 240 plus place settings and challah and grape juice. And I saw folding chairs in kind of a different way about the people who can't be there and the places that we're holding. And so last Shabbat, I set a place for someone at my table who can't be at Shabbat dinner, which I know a lot of people are starting to do. People are lighting candles for people who can't be home with their families. So the chairs also make me think about who can't be there 
and how very blessed we are even in these scary times to be able to have our family around us and to be able to be around a table and enjoy a meal together. Amen. Make your giving simpler, smarter, and more tax efficient with the Jewish Communal Fund. Think of a fund with JCF as a personal account for your charitable giving. Make an initial contribution of cash or appreciated securities and take the maximum charitable deduction for 2023. Then make grants to IRS-qualified charities on your own timeline. In times of joy and in crisis, JCF enables you to respond quickly and handles all of the record-keeping. Choose investments and your fund can earn tax-free income. While there are a number of donor-advised funds to choose from, only JCF makes a significant contribution to UJA, Federation of New York, and Jewish communal organizations, providing a double bottom line for fund holders. This year, JCF's trustees quickly authorized a $500,000 grant from their endowment to UJA's Israel Emergency Fund. Join the nation's largest community of Jewish philanthropists. Open a fund at jcfny.org. Time for some pod biz. Unpacking the book, the series I host with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum is starting back up this month. On March 28th, I will be at the Jewish Museum in conversation with authors Jordan Salama and Elizabeth Graver about Mizrahi and Sephardic diaspora journeys. Then in April, also at the Jewish Museum, I'll be talking with Rabbi Diana Fursco and author Maurice Samuels about what their new books tell us about the continued rise of anti-Semitism from Dreyfus to today. In May, we're heading to Zoom for a virtual conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about their new books. You can find all of that info and more at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. Our second Beautifully Jewish Craft Along is underway. To join our growing community, head to tabletm.ag slash beautiful. I also wanted to share this delightful review on Apple Podcasts. For this non-American goy, Unorthodox is a weekly compulsion. Three very different characters deliver no-holds-barred perspectives from the Jewish part of people's identities. Well, in Liel's case, Jewish slash American slash Israeli slash his own universe. All are welcome and all can contribute. Why only four stars? Sometimes I can't keep up with the spoken delivery speeds, a problem when you've become a global phenomenon, as you have. Well, non-American Goy, we love you, even if we talk too fast for you. The rest of you, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. And you know Joshua Molina will be reading it, so make it a good one. Okay, back to the show. Many of you have been joining us in Crafting for Israel as part of our Beautifully Jewish Craft Along. A craft along doesn't mean we have to all sit at a table and craft together, but we've been meeting every Monday at one o'clock Eastern time, where we've talked to different speakers, hundreds of listeners join us, people are knitting hats for soldiers in the IDF, they're crocheting these adorable Guatemalan worry dolls for kids in Israeli hospitals, and tons of people are making cards for families in Israel. We've been joined by hundreds of people, Jews, Gentiles, from Paris to Portland. It's really moving to see. We have more than a thousand people signed up. It is amazing. It's amazing. And the best part about this has been these weekly Monday Zooms. We pop on, there's a lot of people on there knitting, and we have really interesting people in conversation with us talking about their projects, 
Tanya, you wanted to share one of the conversations we had had on one of our Monday Zooms. I did. Our conversation with award-winning knitwear designer Inbal Gross, who joined us from Israel. It was so strange because two days before it all started, I had the Fiber Festival, the first Fiber Festival in Israel. You know, I went to sleep at my spouse's house in Tel Aviv. I was like so tired, exhausted because all of the Fiber Festival and organizing everything. And suddenly we just woke up with sirens and explosions. Nobody knew what's happening. And then slowly things get worse. We had two days of celebration and then it was, we couldn't even think about it and talk about it because how can you talk about festival after, you know, horror stories. You have these amazing design skills. You organize this amazing festival. How did October 7th change what you're doing with knitting and what's your response to that? It was unbelievable. At first, I thought like, okay, I'm a knitting instructor, you know, I I teach people and I I thought I want to keep going, you know. I have a group. They're very, very chatty, a WhatsApp group. And I didn't know if it's okay to talk about knitting or not, but I kept talking about it. And their, their response was like, Thank you so much for giving us, you know, a place to, to escape from all the mess. So I just kept going and, and the audience got bigger and you see articles about knitting all over. People need it so much and people that stopped knitting a long time ago suddenly start knitting again. It keeps your hands busy. It keeps your mind busy and you don't think about anything. It just relaxes people. Is it something people bring into a safe room or a shelter when they're, when they're seeking cover? Sure, sure. Yeah. I'm used to do Zoom uh, classes. We started doing free Zooms and you see people and then, oh wait, we have a siren. <laughs> and suddenly they run with a phone, you know, you, you see them going to the... <laughs> After giving free classes for a couple of weeks, Inbal saw that knitters wanted a way to use the craft to help others. They wanted to make hats for soldiers using a pattern or instructions created by knitter Hanna Kopel when her own child served in the IDF. The pattern calls for black yarn, and before long, it was in short supply. I didn't expect, like, the enthusiasm. It just happened. I asked Zvika here, who's a yarn shop owner in Israel, because we need someone to import the yarn. And he just immediately said, whatever you need, I'm here. And he took it as well, like much further than what I expected. And he got us people, uh, developers, who volunteered to make us write a code of program to manage. We get the yarn and who does it go to and how many hats did they need it? And like which uh, army unit gets it and like everything gets so big. It's startup nation for knitting. <laughs> yes. They get the yarn and we give them like three, four weeks to get the heads back. And also we wanted to give everyone a chance because like people are caught up me. <laughs> and I need like 
40, 50 kilos of yarn. <laughs> like, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. You can knit up to six heads because everyone wants to participate. So we don't want to like give everything to one person. We also have a lot of groups. Like there are people who, who are community groups that used to knit for hospitals, for kids, for homeless. The amount of initiatives here, I'm overwhelmed and everyone is volunteering for something, you know. Everyone is just so supportive and we were so separated. Like I just keep seeing the good things that are coming and less the bad things. And you can see how divided this country was just a month ago. You know, everybody was so angry at each other and, and divided and suddenly everyone is just working together. I don't know, it's amazing. Inbal brought me so much hope and a needed reminder of how far Israelis have come since October 7th. And there's one more thing. These knitted hats, they are in great demand. Suddenly I get this message from a soldier. They're one of the most hardcore break and entry unit. And he said, we, we lost five soldiers of our unit and you know, telling me all the stories. I'm like crying just reading it. And then he said, do you have 200 hats to, to give us? And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know that it's a real need. I just thought, you know, how many soldiers really need hats? But oof, okay, I guess they do need it. And suddenly it just make everything meaningful and more meaningful. And, and it really was really emotional that moment. Sure. But I told him, of course, we're going to do like the first box is going to you. And also if you have, if there are people who really need it, then contact me. And I want to give it to people who really need a hands. Is there anything more beautifully Jewish, Stephanie, than finding a way to use our gifts to enrich the Jewish world or the whole world? I love this so much. I feel thankful. I feel grateful. I think I actually might like Thanksgiving now. Yay! I don't like Thanksgiving food, but I do like the Thanksgiving spirit, the beautifully Jewish Thanksgiving spirit. And I like that we've made this holiday our own. I don't think I will ever look at those folding chairs the same way. I love knowing that there's like a Jewish spirit to them that connects all of us around all of our tables. And I think that's something really, really important for us to take away this year. This has been Beautifully Jewish, a monthly segment on Unorthodox, hosted by me, Stephanie Butnick, with Tanya Singer. Special thanks to Sam Hacker and Inbal Gross. Join our craft along as we continue to make things in support of our friends and family in Israel. Head to tabletmag.com slash craftalong to sign up. Share your Beautifully Jewish Thanksgivings in both of our Facebook groups, the Unorthodox Facebook group and the new Beautifully Jewish Facebook group. Share them by email at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or post on social media using the hashtag Beautifully Jewish. We can't wait to see what you're doing with the holiday. On all other weeks, Unorthodox is hosted by me, Stephanie Butnick, with Liel Leibovitz and Joshua Molina. We're a production of Tablet Studios and are produced and edited by Josh Cross, Robert Scaramuccia, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, and Daron Rusquet, with help from Sam Hacker and Jordana LaRosa. Our episode art is by Esther Werdiger, and our Unorthodox and Beautifully Jewish logos are all by Jenny Rosbrook. We'll be back next week with a regular episode of Unorthodox, and next month with a Beautifully Jewish Hanukkah. 
Shalom, friends, and enjoy the turkey. Once again, today's episode is sponsored by the Jewish Communal Fund. JCF can streamline all of your charitable giving, letting you focus more on the charity and less on the administration and record keeping. With year-end fast approaching, now is the time to act. Open a JCF fund by December 29th to lock in the maximum charitable deduction for 2023. Leave the paperwork to JCF and set aside funds to support your charities and respond quickly in times of crisis. By contributing cash or appreciated securities, you receive the maximum tax deduction allowed by law and avoid capital gains tax on long-term appreciated assets. JCF is one of the oldest and largest donor-advised funds, and their donor portal makes it easy to access and manage your grant-making online. Easily recommend grants to IRS-qualified charities of your choice directly from your fund. In the meantime, your funds can be invested with opportunities for your charitable dollars to grow tax-free. Remember, the deadline to maximize your 2023 tax savings is just around the corner. You can start your fund with a contribution of $5,000 or more. Simplify all your charitable giving, make grants quickly, and be part of the nation's largest community of Jewish philanthropists. Visit jcfny.org or call 212-752-8277 to open your fund today.